But hey, how is everybody doing tonight? Okay, you're still warm enough to talk. I appreciate that. Hey, this is kind of cool, right? Like, I think that this is really fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming out tonight, despite the inconvenience. We are going to pray and continue to pray, and we have people praying that the rain's going to hold off. But we worship God that even if God doesn't hold off the rain, we're going to praise him anyway because we know that God is good no matter what. Um, but really quick, I just want to thank some people who have been out here for so long today setting this up in the rain. Uh, Holden and Matthew and Haley and some other volunteers who are out there. Can we give God praise for those people and for the, the, the alarm that's going off? I mean, it's just all creation shouts out praise to our good and gracious God. Amen. Hey, my name is Danny. I'm the campus pastor at Hope Ames. Uh, I also get to be a part of Kairos. Um, if I stand here, you can see me, right? Okay, you can see me? Good. And can our, can our friends in Iowa City see me as well? I think they can see me too, so that's good. Um, and uh, on the count of three, let's say, hey, Iowa City. One, two, three. If this is your first night here, first off, Props to you for coming on a night like this. But we have a group in Iowa City. They join us as well at Kairos, Iowa City. There's also a group that's starting in Des Moines this year, Kairos, Des Moines. If you know people at the University of Iowa or any of the Des Moines universities or colleges, let them know about Kairos. So you can see me, but I, I mean, Matt was not kidding. I, I cannot see you at all. So if you have a lot of battery on your phone, would you do me a solid and just, I don't have my phone, would you just like turn the flashlight on on your phone just so I know that there are humans out there? And like, and keep it on as long as you, oh, that's so cool. That is, I love that. Okay, yeah, I mean, and if you just want to keep it out as long as you've got enough battery to do that, that will help me so much tonight. You guys are amazing. Hey, we are in week three of our series called Faith Actually. We're asking what difference does faith actually make and what does faith actually look like. And tonight I want to ask the question, what faith does, what difference does faith actually make, especially when I feel like I'm not enough or when I feel like I don't have enough? Has anybody here ever felt like they're not enough, like they don't have enough? You know, I don't think that we always have felt like that throughout our lives. Maybe it's kind of a learned feeling, a learned behavior. And it made me think about this over Labor Day weekend. Hopefully you had a great holiday weekend. On Monday, I had the opportunity to go go-karting with uh, our production guy, Holden, and one of our volunteers, Brock, uh, who graduated from Iowa State a few years ago. We went go-karting because we're still living out our dream. We just want to go fast, you know what I mean? Like, just want to go fast. And, uh, and it was really fun, and I think that we thought that we were pretty cool until we saw, I mean, a kid who's probably about five years old just swinging around the track, you know. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, he doesn't really have a good understanding of how to drive this car at all. At one point, he even takes the car straight into turn one, meaning probably going like 10 miles per hour, just drives straight into the wall. Didn't even try to turn. It was kind of cute, and especially afterward, I overheard a conversation that he was having with his dad, and he's sitting there, and he's having this conversation with his dad, and he's just telling his dad, hey, you saw me out there, right? And then this is where it got so cute. He goes, and I know you were proud of me. I, just, I know you were proud of me, and I know I had so much fun. And then he said, I'm only five years old. It was awesome. He had this confidence he had this ability to say, I only have five years of life, and yet there's still something glorious happening in my life. I think that's kind of cool. We've all got onlys in our life, don't we? Onlys are limitations. 
Limitations are the things that should stop us from doing something, but when good things happen, regardless of the limitations in our life, glory happens too. And so sometimes in life, we have an experience like that five-year-old. I'm only five years old, but you're just so proud of me. I know it. And the dad's sitting there. He's just smiling. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of you. But there comes a certain point in our life, too, where maybe we learn to be more discouraged with our onlys. They're a little bit more sobering. They lead to some serious problems, some serious self-esteem issues. Self-esteem is a serious problem in our world today. I'm not here to tell you to walk around and say, I'm better than everyone. No, that's not it. But when we walk around and we really feel bad about who we are because we feel like we're just a bag of onlys, well, that's not healthy. We don't start like that. We start like the five-year-old. Did you know that when first graders start elementary school, 85% of first graders who were surveyed in this huge, massive survey scored Uh, in the range of high self-esteem. I think that's crazy. By fifth grade, 25% score in the high self-esteem range. By the time that somebody enters into high school, 5% of people score in the high self-esteem range. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person who's not in high self-esteem walks around and just absolutely hates themselves but it does mean that self-esteem can sometimes be an issue in their life. Why does that happen? I think part of it is the average kid in the the country today hears 432 negative statements a day compared to 32 positive. Isn't that wild? And so it leads to this negative feeling about ourselves and we start to lose our self-esteem. We start to recognize our onlys. And then by the time that you're in college, 20% of students who are surveyed have said, that at least some of the time, I hate myself. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. It shouldn't be like this. Eight million people in this country have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but people say that that's not even close to the reality because estimates are that 20% of college students are dealing with an eating disorder, both men and women. Because we have this idea about ourselves, it's just projecting poor self-esteem, and, and we are just so focused on our onlys and thinking, well, my only is holding me back, and my only is going to stop me from ever experiencing the life that I really want to experience. I've only got fill in the blank. There's a psychologist, he's not like a religious psychologist by any means as far as I know, but his name is Dr. Joe Rubino, and he's the one who gathered a lot of this information, and he also, on top of gathering this information, surveyed those same people, and he tried to figure out what about their identity means the most to those people. And people came back with all sorts of answers. Some people said that it was their career. Some people said that it was their academics. Some people said that it was their family. You know what was really interesting to me? The psychologist who is a secular psychologist, is not faith-based, said the people who have the highest self-esteem are people who find their identity in their faith. What difference does faith actually make? What do you think that we should really be pouring into? Now, I'm not here to tell you like, oh, well, that's because people of faith just have this uh, impossible view of themselves and they disregard uh, the problems in their life. They're just numb to that stuff. That's not true at all. In fact, as he continued to conduct these interviews, what he found was this people of faith recognize their flaws. I mean, people who are really pouring into their faith, they recognize their flaws, they recognize their onlys, but they believe that there is someone who can make up for their onlys. 
And so therefore, my onlys don't define me. There is someone greater who loves me anyway, despite my onlys. It's people of faith. It does not mean that if you're a person of faith that your life is just going to be so easy. It doesn't mean that at all. I mean, when we run with Jesus, I mean, it is tiring sometimes. It's exhausting. Sometimes the things are really hard. I would, so far, I would go so far as to say that when you follow Jesus, sometimes life gets harder. But it's like a runner's high. Is anybody out there a runner? I, again, I can't really see you, so wave your phone if you're a runner. If you're a runner, wave your phone. I love the runners. I love everybody here. But runners, uh, they, they've got this term, and it's the runner's high. And as somebody who considers myself a runner, I will tell you this. Runner's high does not mean that running feels good. It just simply means that even though it hurts, I have the strength to go even faster, and I can't explain it. I've only got so much energy left, and yet somehow I am given more. I don't know how to explain it. It's just happening. You know, there's a lot of science and biology behind it, but it's a cool experience. It doesn't mean that it's painless, and yet there's energy. See, the Christian life does not mean that life will be so easy. In fact, it means that all things will happen in your life. Romans 8, 28, it tells us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's not just good things. It's not just bad things. It's all things. All things. So when we run with Jesus, we are not expected to save ourselves. We're not expected to have this perfect life. And when it doesn't go perfectly, then it's a failure of us. And it's because of the onlys, the limitations in our life. Well, it's just reality. Jesus got tired too, you know? You heard about this in the Bible reading tonight. It's Mark chapter 6. If you've got a Bible or if you've got a Bible app, you can check that out. Or if you're using the flashlight, I do really appreciate that too. So make your choice, whatever you want. But it's in, a, it's in Mark chapter 6 that Colin read from tonight. And uh, Jesus is tired. It says that he needs a rest the beginning of the reading, you heard this. Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Right before this story, Jesus has just found out that his relative, his cousin, if you will, and his very close friend, John the Baptist, has just been horrifically executed. John the Baptist was arrested in the first place because he was pointing people to Jesus. So Jesus knows, well, if they killed the guy who's, point, who who's pointing to me, not to mention this is my friend, and I'm mourning that, but now I know it's coming my way too. He's tired. He needs to rest. And when we need to rest, it's important to do that. But sometimes, even when we feel very limited, even when we feel like the only has completely overwhelmed us and I've got nothing left, oh, sometimes it's just like God to keep on calling us to do more. And you might be thinking there, how in the world could I do that? Well, I invite you to run with Jesus, to strap up in the go-kart, if you will. You see, Jesus is ready for some R&R. &R. He's ready for a break. But then the text tells us that the crowd saw him. And they caught up to him. They ran in front of him. And before Jesus knows it, thousands of people are surrounding him. It's the most inconvenient time possible. This is the moment when you'd expect Jesus to say, listen, I've got a family member who is just 
executed, they're going to kill me too. I need to get right in my head. I am not in the proper mind space to do this. And this is really cool. It says, but many people recognized and saw them leaving, and people from towns ran ahead along the shore to get there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowds as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Jesus sees the crowd of people, full of people with plenty of onlys, and he doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm too tired now. You need to take, I need to take a break from all of you people. No, it says that he has compassion. Compassion, especially in the Bible, it's this really powerful word. In the original Greek, compassion means to be so moved, to be so emotionally uh, bought into someone and something that you actually feel it in your core. It's a metaphorical kind of heartbreak that it starts to feel very real. When Jesus looks over these people, he's heartbroken. And so he doesn't send them away. Instead, he sees them for how they are, sheep without a shepherd, a large crowd crowd of people who don't have direction. He says, I can give that to you. And he sees that they've come to him in faith. And Jesus doesn't reject people when they come to him in faith. No matter how limited your onlys are. Maybe sometimes we're too bashful to approach Jesus. I don't know. These people weren't. They were so unbashful that even when Jesus was clearly trying to get away, they're like, hey, I want some more of you. But find me one time where Jesus rejects a weary soul. Find me one situation where Jesus denies someone his bread of life. It says Jesus looks out and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And this is kind of referencing something in the Old Testament. Not kind of, it is directly referencing something in the Old Testament. See, there was this guy named Moses, one of the most famous figures in the entire Bible. And before Moses dies and he's reflecting over his people and he's concerned about them, he prays. He says, God, give them a leader. Do not let them be like a sheep without a shepherd, a crowd without a cause. Give them a good shepherd. And Jesus, being the good shepherd that he is, sees these people gathered around him. And people, large crowds like that, didn't just gather for no reason. These people needed something. They needed help. They were being oppressed. They were being hated. They were being persecuted. And so they see Jesus as this person who can maybe give them power. I'm powerless, Jesus, and you seem to have something, so can you give that to me? I need some of that right now, please. They're looking for a revolution. They're looking for power. And so Jesus responds to them, and he does not give them weapons for a revolution. Instead, it says he gives them words. He gives them teaching. Okay, I'll fill you up. I'll give you a revolution. I will give you life. You're looking for food. I'm the bread of life, Jesus says in John chapter 6, where it's talking about this same story. I'm the bread of life. I will give you what you need. And sometimes it's not what we expect. He gives them words. He gives them teaching. He says, I am revolutionizing your entire existence through my gospel. The good news that I'm here. That's what Jesus does. He says, you've come to me for a meal. You've come to me for food. You've come to me to live another day. I'm the meal for your heart. 
And I've come to you so that you'll live forever. He's come to revolutionize their lives. And he has compassion on them. And he will not reject them. You know, the disciples had been running with Jesus for a while at this point. And so I wonder if they see Jesus like, okay, he's got a second wind. We see this all the time. It's time to go. So they see Jesus ministering to people. And so they start ministering to people. But then the day has gone on for a while. It tells us that it's long into evening. And they're in a secluded place. And so the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, I mean, this would be a reasonable time to send people away. Let them go and get some food. We don't have any food out here. Translation, hey, Jesus, it's been a great conference. You know what I mean? Keynote speaker, Jesus Christ, you've done a great job. But now let's just send them away for some food. Jesus' response is shocking. The Bible tells us that there are 5,000 men, and that's really just the heads of the household in those times. So this could be 15, 20, maybe 25,000 people. And Jesus looks back at his disciples and they say, all right, Jesus, great job. Time to send them away, please. We really could go on that vacation right now. Palm Springs is great this time of year, I hear. And Jesus looks back at them and he says, you feed him. I love the authenticity of the disciples' response. You see what it says? The disciples respond, with what? Jesus, there are thousands of people here. It would take months and months of work just to feed these people one time. What are you thinking? There's no way we can do this. Oh, Jesus, you're really embarrassing us. This is going the wrong way. It was nice of us to serve these people for a little while, but now it's time for a break. I have only so much time here, Jesus. It's time. We're limited. Jesus <laughs> agrees with them. You're right. <laughs> you can't feed them. I, I think that's the point. The disciples ask, well, what are we supposed to feed him with? We can't do this. And yes, that's the point. You and me, we are limited people. We are lives full of onlys. And in order for our hearts to get fed, in order for us to fill up on something that we really need, it's going to take an act of God. Listen, here's the thing. Maybe sometimes we struggle and like, I don't know if I can figure out if I believe in God. I don't know if I can figure out if I even want God. But here's the truth. Every single one of us needs God. There's this old philosopher, Jean-Paul Jean Sartre. And Sartre, he was, he was uh, very, very vocal in his atheism. He had no belief in God. And, and he had this quote one time where he said, I don't believe in God and I won't deny it. But my soul cries out for God and I can't forget it. I don't just want Jesus to feed me the bread of life. I need Jesus to feed me the bread of life. Jesus asks, he's like, all right, what do you got? That's a convicting question, isn't it? If we're going to answer it, honestly, we have to make ourselves very vulnerable. When someone asks you, what do you got? And you feel like you're at your wit's end. You feel like you've discovered your onlys. Maybe that's a question you don't even want to answer. I wonder how many people in the crowd were too bashful to tell Jesus what they had. All right, what do you got for food? We got to feed these people. What do you got for food? I wonder if a lot of them were saying, I'm just, I'm just not going to answer that question um, because uh, it would just be embarrassing. It would be, it'd be insulting to you, God, to see how little that I have and to think that could help. 
the disciples come back, they say, well, the only thing that we were able to gather were five loaves of bread and two fish in the book of John, where again, it covers the same story. It tells us that it's a little boy who offered it. We don't know his age for sure, but it says it's a little boy. What is he, five? I'm only five years old. I've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. But I'm going to give it to Jesus. There's something incredible that happens when you give whatever you have to God. And yeah, I get it. Sometimes it's, it's a very humbling only. It's a very limited resource. I don't have a lot. But Jesus seems eager to use what this little boy has brought him. He goes, all right, tell them all to take a seat. I wonder if the disciples are like, take a seat. No, go home. What are you, you talking? All right, we're going to feed you. No, we're not. All right, everybody, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take this bread. Oh, here it comes. It's over now. The text tells us that Jesus raised the food. He took the bread. And he broke it. And then it says he gives it to the disciples. And the disciples give it to a few people. And I wonder if the disciples were like, oh, great. We just fed, I don't know, a thousandth of these people. You want to know something really cool? It tells us that Jesus kept giving the bread to the disciples. Like, read that very literally. Jesus just kept giving it. All right, hey, I just fed one person. That was kind of embarrassing because there's a person next to him. All right, well, hey, here's a little more. Okay, all right, well, great. I just fed two people. I mean, what, what's that gonna do? We only had so much, Jesus. You should have known this was gonna happen. Jesus says, okay, I can give you a little more. Okay, well, great, there's three. I can give you a little more. It says Jesus kept on giving. He kept on giving. It was just a five-year-old boy, but Jesus kept on giving. It was just five loaves of bread, but Jesus kept on giving. It was just two fish, but Jesus kept on giving because Jesus says, I'm not here just to feed you for a little while. I'm here to feed you forever. It's not over with this meal. You've got your onlys and Jesus can keep on giving. Maybe it's a really humbling only, but Jesus can keep on giving with whatever that only is in your life. Oh, I don't know. I don't think that I can stand up to, you know, oppression. I don't think that I can stand up to injustice. I'm only me. Jesus will keep on giving. Oh, I mean, I don't know if I can keep on pushing my way through this season of COVID. I mean, I think I'll just lock myself in my room and not go anywhere. I mean, I've only got so much time to get the things done that I need to do. I've only got so much patience through this. Jesus will keep on giving. He will keep on giving. What's your only? Because this is more than just physical bread here. Jesus tells the crowd, I'm the bread of life. And not long after he broke the bread and fed thousands of people, Jesus was with his disciples the night that he was about to be betrayed, arrested, and then eventually killed. And in the same way, he took bread and he lifted it up. And he said, this is my body. It's broken. 
for you. It's more than just physical bread. See, to us, bread means carbohydrates. You gotta have a little bit of it to run. Back in those days, bread meant the source of life. Other kinds of foods were such delicacies, they never had it. So when they ate, they would eat bread. Bread was life. Jesus says, I don't want to just give you a stomach to, f- I don't just, I don't want to just give you a meal to fill your stomach. I'm here to give you a meal to fill your heart. It's more than just physical bread. See, in order for bread to work for your body, it, it has to break. If the bread stays together, then you can't eat it, and it won't break down in your body, and you can't use it, and then you don't survive, and then you break. But if the bread breaks and your body receives it, you survive, and you stay together. The bread doesn't break, you break. The bread breaks, you stay together. And Jesus said, this is my body. He he actually did this. He Holden, can I walk over here? Is this going to like go crazy on me? Okay. He actually did this. He took bread and he lifted it up and he gave thanks. And I got to tell you, I've really been looking forward to doing this today because here at Kairos, usually every single week we have communion and we remember what Jesus did, how he breaks his body for us how he breaks so that we can stay together, how he breaks so that we can survive. But because of this COVID season, we haven't been able to do it in six months. And I don't know about you, but I'm just hungry for it. But tonight here in Ames, we've got these little cups and on the top of the cups, there's a sealed little piece of waiver. So if you've got that, go ahead and pull that out now. Just take a look at it and observe it. And those of you who are in Iowa City, I hope you've got some sort of food, maybe like a cracker or a wafer or a bread. And just to make it like really low key, I've, I've got my grape juice in a plastic cup because it doesn't need to be fancy for Jesus to show up. But Jesus lifted the bread. He blessed it. And he broke it. He said, it's my body and it's given for you. So when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's powerful stuff. In the same way he took the cup, he gave thanks. He poured it out for all the drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. like to invite you to pray with me for a moment. These are words that Jesus taught us, and if you don't know it, that's okay. You can pray in your heart, but let's pray these words together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go ahead and eat that wafer and drink that grape juice. It's the smallest meal you'll have all week, I I hope. It's the most important one. 
because this is the meal that keeps on giving. Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I've only got so much time. Jesus keeps on giving. I don't know, God. I've only got so much patience. Patience. Jesus keeps on giving. I don't know, God. I've only got so much peace. Jesus keeps on giving. I don't know, God. I've only got so much kindness left in me. Jesus keeps on giving. Oh, I don't know, God. I've only got so much strength left in me. Jesus keeps on giving. Oh, I don't know, God. I've only got so many tears left in me. Jesus keeps on giving. I don't know, God. I've only got me. No, you have more than you because Jesus keeps on giving. He keeps on giving and he will always keep on giving because when they killed Jesus, they hung him on a cross and he died and then they stabbed him in the side and blood and water came out. And do you know what that means? It literally means his heart actually broke. It wasn't metaphorical anymore. It wasn't just a feeling deep inside of him that welled up. No, his heart actually broke. He actually died. He kept on giving to make you whole, to fill your only, to pursue your limitations and show you the realization of everything that could be with him. And he kept on giving because he rose from the grave and he keeps on living because he keeps on giving. So you got no Jesus is enough. He will keep on giving. Faith makes a difference.